Evening, my name's Wendy and I'm going to be reading for us tonight. So tonight we're reading from Luke chapter 7 verse 36 to 50. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1472. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned a, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I wonder who has been um, sharing in your table, who that have come and have dinner with them. Um, yeah, I had, in my table I had a rapper I'd never heard of, maybe feel a little bit old and millennial. I was a bit tough. And then an artist I'd never heard of, and that maybe feel slightly uncultured. And then um, to have Wendy come up here and name three Christians, and I don't think I've got any famous Christians on my list, so I don't know. But here they are. Here are my five. The people I would invite to dinner. I would invite Ezra Koenig. He is the lead singer of Vampire Weekend, a band I really love. He's from New York and has a Jewish background. His lyrics are full of kind of Jewish um, and Christian kind of uh, tones. Keanu Reeves, no explanation needed there. I mean, look at him. Who would want Keanu at your table? Is he the greatest actor? P- probably not. But I hear he's the... F- friendliest person in Hollywood, and that would take away some of my nervousness. I think Keanu would make an incredible wingman at a table of celebrities. So Keanu makes the list. Does anyone recognize the next person? Ash Barty, absolutely. How could you not know? Uh, She is one of Australia's greatest tennis players. She's retired. She retired right at the peak. Uh, She did 121 weeks of being number one. That's astounding, isn't it? Uh, Next one needs no introduction either. That's... uh, um, that's Tiger Woods. I would love to have him for dinner, and then maybe he'd give me some golf swing tips on, uh, you know, time after dinner. 
pray greatest goal for the modern era. And the last one, does anyone recognize her? Malala Yousafzai. She is a Pakistani girl who wrote the book I Am Malala. Uh, She was shot by a Taliban terrorist for her work advocating for children's educational rights, and she won the Nobel Peace Prize for her work, and uh, I think she'd be really interesting. And I can kind of picture my dinner party. I don't know if you can picture yours, uh, where you'd put people and the time. I can tell you one thing I'd be aiming for is to impress them. I'd want to make sure they all went away feeling like I was very cultured and understood their world. So I'd leave, you know, I Am Malala, the book, deliberately thumbed and earmarked on a coffee table for her to find. Um, I would probably put Thomas and my tennis racket subtly in the back corner, just so Ash knows this is a tennis family. And, uh, you know, Thomas may be world number one too one day. What else? Um, I would slip subtly into conversation that I, I too have won prestigious golf events. I once won the Saturday competition at the prestigious Gordon Vale Golf Course, and that way Tiger can feel at ease. He also is in the, the room with a fellow golfing expert. And uh, I already have a life-size cutout of Keanu Reeves' John Wick in my bedroom, so I'll just bring that out and put it there, and, you know, he'd be impressed too, right? Just as you are. But I'd want to make sure that when they left, they said, Peter, Peter, it has been a stimulating and delightful dinner. And if you're ever in L.A. or Melbourne or wherever they are, look me up. I owe you a dinner. And if they said that, I would feel like I had accomplished my goal. I had them in my debt. And uh, I'd impress them. We're going to add a little twist to your scenario, though. Uh, you've got your five celebrities. Picture them. Put them around your lounge room table, you know, dining room table. If you're a uni student, put them around your lounge chairs. Um, we have a twist. I want you to think of the most disruptive, awkward, socially inept, painful person you know. And they're going to knock on the door. I'm going to put a photo of mine up now. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. They're not here tonight. I did notice that. Jokes, they live in Brisbane. Um, <laughs> that's not actually a joke either. Um, <laughs> moving on. Imagine they came to your door. Knock, knock, knock. Open up and in they come. And suddenly this dinner party with incredible celebrity guests has the greatest fear uh, you have of this, this person crashing, pulling up a chair next to the tiger, sitting down, putting his arm over Malala, and, and you're thinking, what? Is go- it's going to go bad, isn't it? And it goes worse than bad. Can you feel that sinking feeling? Good. Hold it. Let's get into our bar ring tonight. Tonight, we are in a historical moment when Jesus is invited to a dinner party, and we're going to follow the events, and it kind of follows that mind experiment we just did. We're going to see what happens. Three points, very simple tonight. We're going to look at Simon's dinner party that goes horribly wrong. We're going to look at the unwanted guest who brings us hope, and then the, uh, the, the unthankful host who gives us a warning. So we're going to look at the woman and then Simon. Let's set the scene in case you're not someone who knows the Bible well, and that's really great you're here, if that's the case. Let me paint the picture for you and take you back in time to first century uh, Judaism. Jesus is a preacher, and he is also a miracle worker, and he's a celebrity in the, the region that he lives. There's a huge crowd now following him. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee means a community and religious leader. He would have been significant in his town. He would have had significant friends and wealth and property and uh, influential in the local governing of the synagogue and, and the people around that area. And Simon wants to have this celebrity preacher, Jesus, at his house for a dinner party. 
And so he arranges it. He gets his closest, most influential friends to be there, invited to, and he invites Jesus. And we're going to read Luke's biographical account of what happens. So in Luke's gospel, we're in the seventh chapter, and we're in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Uh, the kind of houses you had, if you were influential, would have been big, but with an open courtyard in the middle, and your dinner would have been there, and it would have been semi-public, in the sense that you didn't lock people out. Uh, no one could come and eat with you unless they were invited, but they could come and watch and kind of stand back and, and listen to the philosophy and theology talked about. And you didn't sit at tables like you are now. What we should have done is we should have made you all do the traditional thing and recline on the floor tonight. That would have been a real shock, wouldn't it? But that's what you did. You had a low table. You kind of rest your head on one elbow like this and eat. And you all would be stretched out with your legs away from the central table. You can imagine like a big star, if you will. Feet on the outside, heads in the middle, food right in the center. And this woman, she comes and she, she's watching and she interrupts and comes right up as close as she can to Jesus, which is not his head, it's his feet. And so she gets close. And what do we know about her? Well, we know she has a sinful reputation, a significantly sinful reputation. What does that mean? I think it means that she is a prostitute. It's kind of a polite way of saying she's a prostitute. And she's known for that. Hopefully, Simon only knows that by reputation, but he certainly knows that she is a prostitute. And we see that a little bit in her behavior and that she comes with perfume as well. So she used the perfume to smell seductive, and we see the way she treats Jesus, which is culturally inappropriate. And so she is well known for the marriages she's broken up, uh, the countless men that don't go to the synagogue anymore on the Sabbath that Simon's noticed loitering around her place. And she turns up. And why does she come? She comes because she's been forgiven by God. We see that later on. She comes full of emotion. She heard, she's heard Jesus preaching. She knows that Jesus saved her. And she, she comes as close as she can, and that's his feet. And that's when the party gets awkward. And I, I sympathize as a preacher on how awkward this would be. I'm a preacher and also someone who doesn't like their feet being touched. I think there's a really clear divide in the world. Those who like their feet being massaged and those who don't. Who doesn't like their feet being massaged? Put your hand up. Amen. The rest of you, what's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> Filthy. Um, you know, I, I find it uncomfortable. The idea of going to a foot masseuse and dentist, which is worse, I don't know. No offense, dentists. No offense. Well, some offense, foot masseuse. I don't know. I think Jesus didn't like his feet being touched because he's normal. If he did, it doesn't matter. This is pretty horrifically awkward. You know, I've preached through some awkward moments. Um, I've preached through phones ringing multiple times from the same person over and over in the same service. Um, I don't know if they didn't know what silence was, silent mode was. I've heard, that I've had, I preached through people taking the phone call, in the second row, just having it. Hey, mom, how you doing? And talking through my whole sermon. That was awkward. Uh, I have had people fall asleep. That's pretty, not that common somewhat common. That's normally not that awkward. When they snore, more awkward. When they speak in their sleep, sleep talking, substantially more awkward. I can preach through that. I preached through two ambulances, different sermons. People passed out, powerful preaching. But uh, I preached straight through it. They came through the door, put them on a stretcher, wheeled them out, didn't stop. I preached through a police car come and take someone away. 
at this church. No joke. They even called out, Pastor Peter, save me. And I preached on. <laughs> I can't stop my... When I'm in my stride. True story. <laughs> so, yeah. But I think if I looked out and saw one of you kind of walk, you know, lean over to the person as you take their shoes off and start kissing their feet, I'd lose it. And if one of you came up and was like, as I'm preaching, just kind of undid my connies, tried to take it off, I think self-preservation would kick in. I'd just kick you in the face. I wouldn't be able to help myself. Here's Jesus with this woman, and she's crying. And it's not Hollywood, you know, a few little drops of tears. She's sobbing. His feet are wet from her tears. It's inappropriate what she's doing. She lets down her hair. Now, I see a lot of ladies out there, with, and some men, with long hair, and you've got it out. But it's okay, I'm not offended, because I live in this culture. But if I went back in time to, to first century, there would be a provocative statement to come with your hair down. I mean, if you're a woman, you would let your hair down in the bedroom as a, as a statement for your husband, you know. And so her wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, it's like taking her top off and drying his feet. This is, it would have been, a, like the men would be like, oh my goodness, what is happening? It's, it's dramatic. It's awkward. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. And he could have whispered to her and said, you know, this is really awkward and inappropriate. I appreciate the gesture, but please stop. He does nothing. But it's not true. Nothing is, not, nothing is something, isn't it? By doing nothing, he accepts her. He doesn't make a scene. He allows her to do this to him. And what is Simon doing? Well, Simon is seething. This is his party. His guests who are all, you know, influential like him and, uh, and, and very reverent and religious like him. And he is Jesus. And Jesus is meant to be, you know, being his spectacular guest that he could bask in the glory of him. And instead, what is Jesus doing? He's embarrassing him. And so Simon does what any of us would do in that moment. You think of something really mean but witty and clever to say and you say it in your head and you feel passive-aggressively smug about your actions. That's what he does. And we hear what he, we hear what he says in his head. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. But unfortunate for Simon, Jesus can read minds and hearts. And he's read this woman's mind and heart and he looks at Simon he... Jesus reads him like a book. And so he then tells a story. And Simon's night, which he thought was really awkward, is actually destined to get more awkward, if that was possible. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owe money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. The other owed him 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. The story is relatively simple. A denario is a day's wage. A day's wage. So 500, 17 months worth of wages. Let's just throw a number out there, $120,000. 50 days is 10% of that, so $12,000. Now, they're both significant debts. I mean, when was the last time you forgave a friend $12,000? Probably not recently, right? So you can feel the pain. I mean, the idea of it makes you laugh because it's... And 120000 I mean, that's crazy money. 
And so you can see it's a dramatic story. Both of them are forgiven very substantial debts. One has been forgiven over a year's wages. And the question is obvious with its answer. Who will love the moneylender more? Well, it's the one who's been forgiven 120000 I mean, they'll both love him, but that one will love him more. Jesus continues. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. This woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What's the cultural norms in our world? Well, uh, someone came in, you would certainly open the door for them and you would, um, you would offer them a seat. You wouldn't leave them standing. You would offer them a drink. You'd shake their hand or a hug, whatever is appropriate for that person, uh, and you'd give them your attention. In first century Israel, what would you do? Well, you would allow people to wash their feet. Um, you may wash them yourself or you'd have a servant or just have water for them to wash their feet because you're wearing sandals and dusty roads. You would greet them with not a handshake but a kiss, and if they're really important, you might anoint them with oil as a sign of your reverence. And as a, as a, it was a thing. You, you didn't, didn't rush through this. You took your time expressing how thankful you were to have them in your house. And Simon's done none of it. And so Jesus kind of asks this question without actually asking it. And it's, Simon, who do you think is the true host this evening? That's the unspoken question. Who is the one that's shown me true hospitality this evening? Because it's not you. See, everything Simon should have done, she has done more dramatically. Simon should have offered a kiss. She's kissed his feet instead of his cheek. He should have washed Jesus' feet. She's using her tears and hair to wash and dry his feet. He should have anointed him with oil. She's gone ahead and got expensive perfume to pour on his feet. And so Jesus is pointing out, in this dinner party, it's this woman that you're so embarrassed by that I think has hosted me better. I mean, just go, go back to that story, you know, the mind experiment. You got your table, you got your five guests, you got the crasher who's come in and pulled up a chair, and, you know, Tiger Woods turns to the, the gate crasher and says, Peter, I'm so glad they turned up. They've been such a better host than you. Thank goodness they've shown me a true greeting. How would you feel? That's Simon in this moment. What we're going to do in the next kind of 10 minutes is we're going to look at both these people and think about how they challenge us and shape us with how we think about Jesus and our faith. Let's begin with the woman, this unwanted dinner guest, because she gives us just great hope. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's true. So question that. Who can forgive sins? Only God. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God come as man, and so he is the right to forgive sins. And it's painful for Jesus to forgive sins. And forgiveness is painful. There's only two, re- two reasons why forgiveness isn't painful. One is what you're forgiving is trivial. So it costs you nothing. And the second one is you're not really forgiving. You're going to make them pay it back later through some sort of, uh, you know, payback or vengeance. Because true forgiveness of something costly hurts you. Think of the money lender. That debt he wipes off his books doesn't just vaporize. Where does it go? He covers it. He is now 100 
and $20,000 poorer and $12,000 poorer because of these two debts have been absorbed by him. He's eaten the cost. He's worn it. Forgiveness is painful. And Jesus forgives her. How painful is it for Jesus? Well, she doesn't understand. She, I mean, you see how thankful she is, and she doesn't even know how the story ends. We do. How does the story end? It ends with Jesus on a cross, paying for her sins and our sins through his death. But she's heard something of the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, and it changes her. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. Only twice in the Gospel of Luke does Jesus ever turn to someone and explicitly say, your faith has, has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. And so something is going right here in her example. Well, what I think is the key model from this woman? What's, what do we take home? I think it's that we should come to Jesus as we are and receive forgiveness. And this woman, she's obviously damaged and got a damaged past. I don't think anyone goes into prostitution without being exploited by someone and hurt by someone. But no, she's also hurt people through her life. I wonder how many um, wives feel the pain of a broken marriage because of their husbands sleeping with her or men losing their faith as they wander off with her. How many countless laws she's broken. You know, I doubt she would even think about hosting a dinner party with five celebrity guests. That, that mental experiment would be just foreign to her. Who would ever want to eat with me besides someone who wants to use me? The answer is Jesus would want to eat with her. That's the startling truth. Jesus Jesus would love to eat with her. Jesus would love to be with her, to have her as one of his followers. And so she comes as she is. She, she doesn't try to like clean up her, her, her looks. She doesn't uh, try to change her life first and kind of be respectable. She doesn't make amends to the damage she's done. She doesn't learn religious talk or appropriate behavior. She comes with all the inappropriateness and all her damage, and she just brings the debt, and she just gives it to Jesus, and she's forgiven. And what is the result? She, she weeps with joy and is full of love for him. And you know, Simon is shocked. I mean, she, I bet Simon's thinking, what will people think of me for having her in my house? And Jesus doesn't balk. He, he, he is happy for her to attach her identity to him and him to her. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, her friend. And so we should come to, to God as we are. Come to Jesus, who is God, as we are. If you've got social media, you know what it's like to airbrush your image. You do that whenever you post. Um, that's just how we live. When you have friends for dinner, you, you know what it's like to have an airbrushed image. You know, get the dirty washing into the bedroom, close the door, you know, sweep everything away so no one can see, present your best. It happens at church too, the car park miracle. People fight their way to the car, close the door, walk into the church, and they're the happiest couple you've ever met. I mean, we, we know how to present well. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't want that side of you, the airbrushed, photoshopped side. He wants the real you, with all your brokenness and baggage and shame and secrets and addiction and idolatry. He wants that part of you. He doesn't like the sin. He's come to deal with that, but he wants you. You don't have to put on any kind of religious makeup to come to Jesus. He's not going to be scared by you. I look at this scene and think, who would it who, who, who would Jesus not accept? Surely he'd accept everyone. The most socially awkward moment, and he's just nothing but full of acceptance and love. Come as you are, and the result will be the same. Thankfulness and love and peace as your sins are forgiven. What about Simon? What does he get so wrong? 
Why doesn't he just do this simple task of washing feet or get someone to wash Jesus' feet or just greet Jesus with a kiss? I think Simon's problem is the same problem that most Australians have and, and many people have, and that is that Simon doesn't understand his debt. And that's why Jesus tells the explicit story, a debt collection story. He doesn't get that he owes God anything. In fact, I think Simon feels like maybe Jesus owes him something because he's such a great host and that he has put Jesus into his debt. You know, he said, Simon, who are you in that story? He'd probably say, hmm, maybe the moneylender. He would never see himself in those two people. And because he's got so little perception of his own debt before God, he has no love or need for Jesus. And Jesus makes the point that your love for him is proportional to your debt forgiven. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Why didn't Simon you know, hug and kiss Jesus when he came through the door, wash his feet? Because he doesn't realize that he needs forgiveness or has any debt that Jesus could pay for him. Now, if you're like me, someone who naturally feels far more moralistic and self-righteous than I do self-loathing, my weakness is, is I feel like Simon sometimes. I feel like saying, that's not really fair, is it, God? You know, you're saying to me that tremendous sin, when it's forgiven, so tremendous sin forgiven equals tremendous love for God. Is that the relationship? The answer is yes, that's exactly it. If you're forgiven a tremendous amount, you'll love God a tremendous amount. And so a little bit of forgiveness, and I can only love God a little bit. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much. What if I'm not a big sinner? You know, I'm not a prostitute. I haven't seen a prostitute. So I'm like, Simon, how will I ever love God a significant amount if I've never been significantly forgiven? And yet there's the problem, isn't it? You see the self-righteous view we can have of ourselves. I haven't sinned that much. And yet, if Simon was to see the debt that he's racked up, and we see a little bit of it, don't we? We see a man who is bitter and judgmental and hard and thankless. And they're not very public sins, but they're very private sins, but they're very real sins. And hard people have a way of exposing hard hearts. Think about that. When you interact with hard people, your reaction shows the hardness of your heart. So if you, you know, get stuck behind a really slow driver, like I had on the way coming home from church, which is ironic, I know, and I'm just like, what are they doing driving 40Ks and 80K zone? My time is valuable, clearly more valuable than theirs. You can see that I am better than you. When you get frustrated with that colleague, that worker, that person who slows you down, someone who's difficult, who doesn't understand social norms, doesn't expose your hard heart, and, and Simon's hard heart is exposed. He's, there's, there's no 50 denarii sinners in God's economy. You realize that? There's no 500 denarii sinners. We're all racking up the billions here. Well, then why don't we see it? I mean, some of us see it. Some of us would definitely identify that woman and say, that's me. I don't even deserve Jesus, but a lot of us don't. I think it's not because we don't have big sins, all right? I got big sins. I just don't see them. You know, my wife might point them out to me, but I just justify them or I just make excuses. Why don't I see them if they're not small? Because they're too much of who I am. I love them too much. I justify them too much. I depend upon them too much. It's not that I'm blinded because they're small. I'm blinded because they're so big. Hard to separate them from my own self. That's Simon. He, he's a huge sinner. He just he cannot even see it. 
And so Simon is happy to have Jesus in his life as a guest. But he will not give his life to Jesus. He will share a dinner party with him, but he will not share his heart with him. And so he's not forgiven. And he's not saved. And he's not given peace from God. And what's the result? Simon is loveless, thankless, faithless. And there's a warning there for us too. If, you're, if you've been in church a long time, there's a warning. You can be religious. I mean, you can be a minister of a church. That's what it's saying. And not know Jesus. To not give your heart to Jesus. To not think you need Jesus. Well, let me wrap it up. It's not a hard application, really. Be like the woman. Come as you are. Be forgiven. Don't be like Simon, self-righteous and thinking you don't have any debts before God. And Jesus loved eating with people. Loved it. In fact, he loved it so much that it would start to become the image that he would use to help capture our minds when we think of eternity. What is eternity? What does the new creation or heaven look like? It looks like a feast with Jesus. See, when he walked the dusty roads, people hosted him. But in eternity, he hosts us if we trust and follow him. That's the picture. We can go back to Isaiah and see it's even developing back there in the Old Testament. Let me read Isaiah 25, verses 6 and 7. The picture of the new creation. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, of the best meats and, and the finest wines. On this mountain, he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The amazing news is that Jesus wants to have you for dinner, ultimately. He wants to have you for dinner for eternity. And he's made a way for that. He's happy to pay for all your debt. But you need to come to him as you are and give your life to him. Who will be there? I think the prostitute will be there and will meet her. And Will Simon be there? I don't know. I hope that after this awkward, nightmarish dinner, he thought long and hard about his life. And when he heard Jesus died and was resurrected, he gave his life to follow Jesus. That's not really the question, is it? Is Simon's going to be there? The question really is, are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Because Jesus sent you the invitation. But you need to accept it. And what do you need to bring? Just your sins. Just who you are and your sins. Give them to him that he may clear them and clear your debt. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this moment. Help us to come as we are like this woman and throw ourselves before Christ, knowing he forgives. Help us not to be like Simon, self-righteous, self-entitled, self-sufficient, thinking that, if anything, you owe us. We, We pray that we would have tender hearts that seek you and long for the feasts of the new creation. Amen.